Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 113 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, thankfully, is Brian, the reassembling skeleton Gottlieb. Tell everyone what's going on. I just need some some mana, man. I need to put myself back together. I, I broke myself again, snowboarding. You think I'd learn lessons, but I just don't. I just keep hurling myself down mountains and broke my clavicle. It hurts. Hopefully that's all I broke. I'm doing some more doctor stuff the rest of this week, but uh, I'm I'm hoping to be a reassembling skeleton and get things back together. Tough week, but I am now recovering, at least in spirit, because Ravnica Allegiance has released on Arena today. And even if I'm non-mobile, I just get to sit here all day and jam out plenty of sealed decks and start putting my constructed decks together on Arena. So we'll make it through somehow. We'll, uh, We'll recover from this injury better than ever. Was the snowboarding fun at least? The two runs I got to do after driving all the way to Whistler in Canada, uh, yes, they were both fantastic. And then I was shattered. I still actually had a great time in Whistler. Uh, My cousin flew in from across the country and hung out in the village. So it it was still a good trip. I don't want to be a downer. But uh, yeah, not the ideal snowboarding excursion. And now I have some aftermath to deal with, unfortunately. Well, I'm I'm glad you're back home and resting and recuperating and... Thankfully, like you mentioned, there there is Arena to actually help you pass your time. There were some announcements a couple days ago. We had a streamer event, Fire, yesterday. And at one point when I looked, I think during the early afternoon, it was like Magic was like the fifth highest game on Twitch. Yeah, incredible, incredible numbers. The streamer event was awesome. Basically, Watsi loaded up a bunch of personalities with stocked accounts and people were just trying out new deck after new deck all against each other. Got to watch a bunch of people test out a lot of sweet ideas. It was the perfect way to kick off the new format. They are really nailing their approach to like the streaming aspect of Arena. They're doing a good job supporting people and putting them in a position to succeed. And the dividends are being reaped. Like look at those numbers on Twitch. Just incredible for Magic. Yeah, I'm kind of a little worried because it wasn't like the numbers for each individual person were high. It was just like there were so many people streaming, I think, that, you know, like that's where the bulk of that those numbers came from. And then like after the streamer event ended, there was like 4,000 total people watching Magic, which granted, like there's there's no more RNA to be watched. So that could be part of it. And I haven't checked the numbers so far this morning or anything, but I hope that it is not just like arena blows up whenever they do like a big event like this, you know, like I want those, I want to see those numbers consistently growing. Yeah. I mean, I think they have been right. I I think you see more and more streamers diving in a lot of people getting fine numbers. I I think there is general slow sustained growth. Little spikes like this are still cool to see along the way though. You're right that it has to be a more 
cohesive, ongoing type thing than just one-off spikes. And, and I do think it is. Sure. Time will tell, I suppose. Right. We do have a lot of the people from the MPL streaming, and they just came out with some announcements about like fixing the fifth card issue. So now you, if you were going to open a mythic or a rare, you don't open a thing that you already have. But if you already have all the mythics or rares and you like open gems instead or something. So that helps. That is better than uh, like very, very minuscule progress on the vault. And uh, I just opened a lot of RNA packs and it felt good to not end up with like, you know, 10 of the same rare, like I did with GRN. So. Yeah, I, I did the exact same thing today. Basically, have been waiting for this announcement. I still don't think it's perfect. If you offered me dusting over this system, I would still take dusting. And I think that this may be a stopgap. I, I think the real issue is going to come when we get to rotation, right? And granted, yeah. there's there's going to be some new format. Like That's just a foregone conclusion. There's no way that all these cards just rot and there's nothing to do with them. There's going to be a format that is like arena forward that's played on arena. But is that enough to make people feel justified in their investment? I don't know. And most other TCGs, if you're a standard player, you know, if you're a standard player in uh, Hearthstone, you then sell everything that has rotated and use that to kind of restock your account and get going for the next standard. And that option is not going to be available now as as the way the arena is set up uh, currently. So we'll have to see what happens when that time comes. But we're still about a year off from that. Lots of time to introduce new answers, new systems, still a beta. Uh, I think that's one of their catchphrases now. So we'll see where things ultimately <laughs> go with that. They announced a best of three const- constructed ladder, which I don't know how that's going to work really because just a, a match, like a full match is so much time investment. And if it takes like the same amount of time to like, grind to mythic or whatever it just seems like ridiculous to me but either way it is very clear they are listening to the people they are doing cool things when their sets are dropping to get people hyped and get people into it and everything and well we have cards to play with before like the paper pre-release which has just always been a dream and i know that this was happening on like magic online and stuff more recently but like this this is how it should be man yeah, it, I mean, you can't compare these events with the Magic Online events. It's like night and day. These actually feel exciting. And I, I don't know. I'm just like thankful for Arena, which is a weird thing to say. But I felt this immense gratitude today when I was just like dealing with this injury and not sure what to do with my day. And I'm like, I'm so thankful Arena exists and it's something I can do right now. So it's cool to have that nice little burst of positivity when it comes to to this setup after so many years of frustration with digital magic. And uh, it's good to hear that the sky is not falling. It's funny. I've been just outside screaming at the clouds for three weeks straight now, and I get to come inside finally and play some best of three as opposed to only best of one to the end of time. Who knew? Who knew things would change? Oh, dude, I love best of one. I, I think it's good. And now that I've played it a bunch and have been doing, like you said, ranking up via best of one, how do I go back to best of three? It seems like they should be two separate ladders. If you offer me two separate ladders, I could oh, see yeah, myself yeah. returning that, to best of three. That's what I think they're going to do. That's that's not what exists right now, right? It's, it's the same ladder for best of one and best of three. Oh, that's bizarre. I did not know that. I have not read all the fine print. 
I could be wrong on that, and I, I've only played limited thus far today, so I'll know shortly after this cast. I'll go jump on, but that's my understanding as it stands now. Yeah, that is very awkward if true, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, they can always change it. They are right. being receptive to feedback, even if it takes like a couple weeks. Like that is understandable for, of course, like introducing a fix to you know the economy, right? It's it's only going to go up, basically. Uh, we we can do no worse than this for Arena, and that makes me very happy because already where we're at is pretty damn good. Yeah, incredible baseline to work with. And uh, I haven't watched Magic Online streams in a long time. Uh, just like the ugliness of it and the fact that I could just be playing Magic Online in that time generally dissuades me. I, I watch Arena streams, and I am appreciative of you know, the visual upgrade, it's meaningful when you're trying to watch something for entertainment. And uh, I'm glad Arena will only go up from here for sure. Who have been your favorite Arena streamers? I feel like this is a good opportunity to shout out other like content creators that are rad. Sure. I I really enjoyed watching Huey yesterday. I just like his kind of like low-key demeanor. Uh, Obviously, one of the greatest players of all time. He was playing friend of the podcast, Nick Prince's amazing, amazing Mardu deck for a lot of the day, which I liked watching. Big ups to Huey. I thought he did a great job. I watched a little bit of Javier Dominguez's stream this morning, although he was back. He, he didn't have access to uh, Allegiance at that time. Still a great streamer. I, I think same thing. I like the low key, you know, maybe a little bit older streamers. So also old guys could get together. There's no loud music, <laughs> no loud noises, just pure magic. So uh, I thought both of them did a great job over the last day or so. I I agree with those two for sure. And then I was really enjoying Wyatt and BBD. Cool. Very cool. So uh, yesterday, since it was article day, I had it muted the entire time, but it was on in the background. So I could see like what decks people were playing and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I didn't get the to listen to anyone necessarily, but uh, the people who I've watched before, I, I think like, yeah, why Darby and BBD stood out the most. It's just like, they, they made it fun, you know, like right. they, they were, they were talkative and upbeat and had a lot of good energy, you know? And I certainly enjoy Huey too, who, you know, like occasionally cracks jokes, but like mostly, you know, talks about his lines and interacts with chat and stuff, but is just kind of, you know, low key, I guess. Right. I'm fine yeah, with that I mean, too, but there, there's room for both, right? And I think yeah. even in my own preferences, sometimes I want something a little bit lighter, and you know, that's certainly a direction I could go. I also have uh, one of my roommates who has been frantically trying to reach Mythic for like the last week or so. Found the Green White Angels deck that BBD was playing, and mm. he's been having a lot of fun with that. So, yeah, apparently that deck crushes. Yeah, and like I, I've been watching him play, and he'll he'll play against the mirror match like every third game or whatever. So like it is cool to see the sort of Hearthstone effect, right? Where it's like I hit Mythic, here's the deck list I use, and then a bunch of people just copy it, right? And yep. we we don't really see that with Magic Online to some degree. It's like you have to wait, and then like deck lists get published, and you don't know if like the deck is actually good or who the pilot was or whatever because like the screen names are kind of you know, Meyer, they're anonymous, but arena seems to be exactly the type of thing where people are just like, I hit diamond today with this deck. And then, you know, people get on the bandwagon and start asking questions and stuff. So people have just been like more forthcoming with information, which has been awesome. Right. And I mean, it's a good spot to make a point is one of the key things about understanding the Hearthstone metagame 
is knowing where to be on social media and who to follow. And that's going to become part of magic if decks keep getting proliferated in this manner as well. If you're not a Twitter user, maybe dust off your Twitter account and go check out the top arena players because it seems like this is going to become the new method of proliferation uh, for the best decks, at least in these oddball formats and best of one formats. Certainly that's how decks are being proliferated right now because there's nowhere else to get them. So Right. And I, I mean, I follow a lot of like Japanese people on Twitter because they occasionally post a Shadowverse deck list because right. I don't know really where else to get that information in real time, you know? But yeah, if, if people are posting a reasonable amount of arena deck lists, like specifically constructed, I'll probably follow you on Twitter. So incentive. Yeah, we have to have that one like aggregator, right? I don't remember what the Hearthstone was, is, but you turned me on to it when I was playing more Hearthstone. Ari Rune underscore HS, I think. Correct, correct. And basically, they just retweet every like top Hearthstone players' deck lists, and uh, someone's going to have to step up and do that for Magic and make sure all those deck lists are getting proliferated all over the place. Or at least have a website where they get posted, whatever. Sure. But yeah, we, we do obviously have a complete RNA spoiler. We have our top 10s. Uh, we have actually gotten to see some of these cards in action. And I think two days ago, my top 10 changed a little bit. But since the streamer event, it did not move. Uh, my change a little bit yesterday, only like within the top 10. There were steps up and steps down. I'll also say I hate this top 10 list. There's so many good cards not on my top 10 list. I mean, that just comes with the stack set, right? But I have this nagging suspicion that I'm going to regret leaving off many of the cards I left off and there's not room. I don't know how to fit all the cards I want into this top 10 list. So tough game this time around. Yeah, I'm I'm actually looking at my list now and it's like, okay, I have, I have one major oversight actually. I will honorable mention that, but uh, yeah, it is, it is top 10 list time. So we're going to count down from 10 to one. Do you want me to start with my 10? Yeah. I mean, you said you had an honorable mention. You want to kick us off there? Yeah, so this this card should probably be on the top 10. It's weird. It's like, I, I didn't get to see it in action. I didn't know, you know, as of like two days ago, I didn't get to see it in action. But watching some of the people stream it, specifically Efro playing a list that I think Kunio posted is Wilderness Reclamation. We're like, that card does seem messed up. Like, that card should probably be on my top 10. Gerald, it is a stupid, stupid card. Why Why would card. you make something that's four, four mana that just doubles your mana every turn? I don't understand. It, it is free. I mean, let, let's, let's live in a make-believe world where your deck is all instants. That means that your Wilderness Reclamation is free. You have access to the same amount of mana you had after you play it. And then on the next turn, you ramp from five mana to ten mana. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that was just an oversight on my part. And then like after actually seeing it in play, uh, it was just like, yeah, this is dumb. Like just the amount of like mortifies and night of autumns and stuff like that, that my decks are going to be packing. Like it's that number has gone up for sure. And it's like, that is, that is a major upside to playing a deck for me now where it's like, do I have access to a good disenchant? I think you're a smart, smart individual. I think that's going to be an important question as we move on through this format. So anyway, it was just like, this doesn't seem like a real magic card, right? It's like, it obviously can't go in every single deck. It's just going to have like one or two 
decks built around it. So I was just like, yeah, let's just put creatures and spells and stuff on this top 10 list, right? Right, right. Take the, the clean way out. Anyway, uh, my actual number 10, which should probably just be my honorable mention, and then Wilderness Reclamation goes up to like five or something. But my number 10 is Carnival Carnage, which I have liked a lot because there are very few things that you would shock that or shiv and fire in like the the more controlling versions that wouldn't play shock that carnival doesn't kill carnage is actually good and uh the fact that it also enables spectacle is pretty dope it is a gold card for hero of precinct one it's just like it's got like a lot of little upside things going for it where it's like you know, maybe if everyone is playing Incubation Druid or something and like, I really need to kill that card, then you can't really play Carnival. But the fact that you get to play a bunch of removal while also having it be good against control is pretty insane. Yeah, I agree that this is a very impactful card. You start thinking about the things that's sniping. Llanowar Elves, Murfolk Branchwalker, Jade Light Ranger all come immediately to mind. You mentioned Missing some things possibly with shock. The other card I would be concerned about is like growth chamber guardian. So I don't think it's just clear, always carnival. There's, there's a little bit of tension there, but carnage is a very, very real magic card. We talked about a little bit in our first preview shows when we were first introduced to this card. Blightning could have stood to have another mana added on to its, to its cost. I've seen the carnage side of this card be incredibly, incredibly impactful. Snag the last two cards, deal the last three points of damage. All those situations keep coming up and you're getting a fairly versatile removal spell that does a lot. Agree, this is a very good magic card. Awesome. What's your number 10? My number 10, a card you mentioned already, Hero of Precinct 1. I mentioned Nick Prince's incredible Mardu deck. It leans on Hero of Precinct 1 a little bit to get some sacrifice fodder and you know some tokens to get wide and benefit from Judith and to maybe be sacrificed to priests of forgotten gods. I kind of, you know, you cheated a little bit with your honorable mention. This slot, I really struggled with which of three cards I was going to include in this slot. It was Hero of Precinct 1, Gutter Bones, or Priest of Forgotten Gods. I think they are kind of competing for the same kind of deck building space. Although the one that does the most is probably Hero of Precinct 1. I I think it fits in a lot more archetypes than either of those two cards. And it just allows these decks to have an engine and get really wide and have this constant stream of quasi-card advantage just by doing what they want to do and playing creatures. This card was more impressive in play than I thought it would be, and I was already pretty high on it. So I have that as my number 10 card. Yeah, Hero Precinct 1 is really nice, and I I kind of agree with you. I was in the same spot where it's like, oh man, like specifically Gutter Bones and Priest are like a package. You know, like individually they're not doing a whole lot, but there is a very nice aristocracy type of package that you can now play with. So my number nine is Kaya's Wrath, which is one of those cards that I think people recognize is very powerful, but don't immediately have homes for it. So it ends up being like a lot lower on their lists. And I think that people are just going to find homes. And I also think that Esper Control is actually pretty good. And I normally 
hate all sorts of things like Esper control. So yeah, very strange, very strange for me to hear you say those words that you think Esper control is good. But I think Kaya's wrath is a big part of that format of wrath. It's not something we usually have access to the mana works. The mana in this format's pretty good. As long as you're reasonable about what you're asking it to do. The weird symmetry thing I haven't seen a ton of ways to exploit that yet, and maybe that will just end up being an afterthought in this card's existence. Although I do think there's probably like just mid-rangey Orzov decks that will ultimately be looking to play both sides of the coin, sometimes being aggressive, sometimes taking a defensive posture, and this will the life gain attached to Kai's Wrath will benefit them there. Totally fine magic card. It missed my list, but it was close, very close. You you may regret that. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, <laughs> there's a lot of cards that I felt very bad about not having them on my list. So this can just be another one. Yep. What's your number nine? I already talked about it. Carnival Carnage. So we were very close on our evaluation of that card. Uh, not much more to say. Fine magic card. Well, uh, my number eight is Hero Precinct 1. So <laughs> Okay. So let's move to my number eight. Uh, I would be surprised if this doesn't make your list somewhere. But right now we'll talk about Rick's Maddie Reveler. I got to see this card cast yesterday in uh, Seth Manfield's red-black aggro deck. Huey was playing against him. And man, did this card look super impactful. That refill in the late game out of what can just be your ordinary two-drop and allow you to pitch your gutter bones into the graveyard and pick it up later. This is going to fill in a lot of gaps for these red-black aggressive decks, which I very much have my eye on as maybe being the best week one decks be they in a aristocrats type form or just red, black aggressive. I, I think that's back. I think it works. I think they can be chain whirler decks if you want them to. I think they can lean black if you want them to. A lot of options and uh, Rick's Maddie Reveler makes all of them better and may even be doing some other kind of weirdo busted-ish stuff in the future if it gets the right reanimation pieces around it. So, But just as a fair, aggressive card, I really like Rick's Maddie Reveler. Yeah, I I didn't actually get to see that card too often, and that was one of the cards that kind of just fell in uh, with with in different buckets for me. Where it's like, Rakdos has a very long list of strong cards. I think Carnival Carnage is like a bigger player than it, and both it, uh, Rick's Many Reveler, and Theater of Horrors are two cards that did not make my list that very okay. easily could. Same with like Priest of Forgotten Gods and Gutter Bones and stuff. It's like these cards are insane. And part of the power level that is propping up the cards that made my list is by these support cards. They're also very, very good. So uh, I agree with you that uh, Rick's Many Reveler is going to see a bunch of play. It's going to be all over the place. And it's not necessarily in just like, you know, this this burn you, attack you deck. It's it, it's also just like an arc-like Phoenix enabler, you know? Yep. So. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it, and I, I think that they're all pretty sweet. Cool. What do you have in your number seven slot? I have good old Growth Spiral. Okie doke. Talk about it. Explore is tight. Yeah. Being instant speed is pretty tight also. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Like, you don't... We don't really get two mana acceleration that isn't attached to a creature and therefore easily to kill or easy to kill. So I guess the, f- the way to fix that was by making it multicolored and like not actually acceleration. Like it doesn't fix you 
right? Because you can't go searching for like, you know, you're one of planes or whatever, which, you know, would certainly be helpful in some deck lists, but like also in the mid to late game, it could also just cycle instead of being a dead rampant growth. And obviously that's a, a double-edged sword where if on turn two, you cast this card and don't get to put a land on the battlefield, that's a feel bad. Uh, this card is not working as intended, but uh, a lot of that has to do with just creativity and deck building and making sure that you are making this card as impactful as you possibly can. You know, like, do you actually need the acceleration? If so, you should probably just play more lands. Yeah, I like what you said about creativity and deck building, because I think it's not quite there yet when it comes to growth spiral. I think most of the usage I'm seeing right now is just in turbo fog-ish lists, where it's a incredibly important card. I absolutely agree. There's other stuff you can do with this card. Bant control lists. If you think back to like Bant control that used to play Farseek back in the day. So this is probably... This is Flash Era. Yeah, this is the last Ravnica, right? Correct. Correct. It would be last Ravnica. Yeah. So, you know, there we used Farseek to accelerate our Bant control decks. I think there's a Bant control deck again that can leverage Growth Spiral. There's the Turbofog stuff. There's Wilderness Reclamation stuff. Maybe there's even just clean, fair uses of this card where you want to be so flexible with your mana, you know, use the whole Buffalo, have a lot of options available and growth spiral just fits with that. And we haven't really seen that type of stuff explored yet, but on power level, this is, you know, appropriate for modern, basically. This is a very, very impactful effect. If you're in these colors, you should certainly be seeing what you can do with growth spiral. This appears on my list later on for sure. Right on. So my number seven Skargan Hellkite. I wrote a lot about this card last week. This is just the mid-range finisher du jour. It does the job well. It plays offense and defense equally as well, which is something that these dragons don't often do. Uh, I was impressed whenever I saw the card in play. If you untap with it, you get to kind of make things very, very difficult on your opponent in most instances. It generates a bunch of card advantage, and in the late game, it just blows up everything, which is a nice thing for your big dragon to be doing. I don't have to say much more about this card. I've said it in a bunch of mediums. I talked about it last week. Just a good, solid mid-range card for basically every form of red deck. I think Teamer can use it. I think bigger Rakdos decks will look to use it. The question there is like, is the curve going to go that high? I think there's a world where the curve just stops at rekindling Phoenix and that's totally defensible. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. But decks that are looking to get a little bit bigger, Skargan Hellkite will be part of the plan. A lot of the time you want to sideboard in some sort of five mana card though. And Hellkite is certainly among the best of them. It's weird because this card is not necessarily as good as Glorybringer it is probably not as good as Thundermaw Hellkite, but it doesn't really matter. Like, the card is still very, very good. It does things a little bit differently, which is kind of cool, so we're not having the same play pattern with our 5-mana dragon every single standard season. But yeah, this this is my number 6 card, actually, so... Perfect timing. I saw this card in play a lot. I think it was pretty close to even between 4-4 Haste or 5-5. I did not see it get activated a lot, but once the the person generally did like a turn of activating, 
like their opponent just conceded the next turn because, you know, the game's right. basically over, right? Yes, this is like a very slow, clunky, expensive thing, but it does eventually win you the game. And there are also a lot of different setups with Domri or Rhythm of the Wild and like a lot of these green decks are trying out like Stony Strength, which may or may not be nonsense, where it's just like this thing ends up, you know, being a 5-5 haste or bigger. So it is fundamentally different than the other dragons, right? But I, I actually think that it might compare favorably to Stormbreath Dragon. You know, like Pro White was obviously like a big deal in its time or whatever, but right. for, for the most part, I like this card. Well, Pro Lava Coil is a big deal in this time. This card can offer that. So yeah, good assessment. I'm a believer in this card. So I think that brings me to my number six. Yes, sir. And this is a card you talked me into last week. You made me a believer. My number six is Warrant Warden the blue-white hybrid split card. This just slots into a lot of decks that really needed access to this answer. The blue-white control archetype, the... I'm starting to experiment now with just Simic decks and using this as the removal spell there with like a couple white mana floating somewhere in the mana base to maybe get access to the backside. I'm pretty happy with it. In that usage, just a versatile removal spell that's going to clean up a lot of problems that a lot of decks would otherwise have. Things like Adanto Vanguard, Gutter Bones, these sticky threats, which you want to get off the board. This is the way to do so for these decks. Just a nice, flexible card to have access to for a lot of different archetypes. Yeah, the flexibility is huge. Being able to use it offensively, unlike Seal Away, I think is just incredible. And like I talked about last week, actually having them skip their draw step is pretty huge too, especially considering like how powerful a lot of these cards are, right? Where it's like, oh, if they have a one-turn window to draw Judith or their Skargan Hellkite or whatever, and this card actually, you know, prevents them from doing that. Like, you know, if you get to ever cast this card when they're mana screwed or something, it's just backbreaking. And then you also have yeah. the warden side that you're going to use, you know, 10, 20% of the time. And that's a completely fine mode too. So yeah, this is this is my number five card actually. Wow, this is working out very well. We've somehow just paced ourselves right behind each other. Uh, I guess that brings me to my number five card. Then here's where. So so this is the part of my list now where I'm a believer in these cards. What I saw yesterday gave me some pause. And we're not dealing with the hugest sample size, so I don't want to freak out. I still believe in these next couple of cards I'm going to talk about. But quite often, they didn't look as good as I thought they would. Growth Chamber Guardian is my number five card. And I don't know if it was just the particular deck list I was seeing Growth Chamber Guardian in. Or, you know, like I said, it wasn't a ton of games where I saw it in play. It wasn't overwhelming me in the moment. But when I look at this card on paper, it does everything I want my green two drop to do. It's generating card advantage. It can get big, creates difficult decisions for your opponents. I think Growth Chamber Guardian is still going to be an important part of the format, despite what I saw yesterday. I think the Simic decks I saw yesterday all looked very, very odd and, and kind of just underdeveloped at this point. I don't think people understand exactly what to do with Simic. I think you are a little bit closer than most people I saw wanting to use our new Mystic Snake friend, whose uh, name I don't have my head quite wrapped around yet. Refresh Frilled my memory. Mystic. Frilled Mystic. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that there's more of that going on in the pure Simic decks and people are missing that step right now. But still, this card with Hadana's Climb was something I saw a little bit. It looked quite good there. Uh, still a believer in the Growth Chamber Guardian. We just need to get those shells figured out, I think. 
See, I don't know. This is this is one of the interesting things where like what what streamers were you watching, man? I don't know. I saw a lot of growth chamber guardians that look good, mostly because it made it so the person never ran out of things to do. And mm-hmm. yes, you're picking up like four fours instead of maybe, you know, card advantage cards like snowbally planeswalkers or removal spells that you need, you know, like something like tireless tracker or whatever. But this is kind of like the glue for the green decks, I think, where basically like every green deck that is somewhat creature oriented is just going to play at least three of this, maybe four of this. And it's just going to be good for them. Like just getting to do stuff with your mana is incredible. And then I saw people doing things with like rhythm of the wild where they just like play out all of them, you know, right, just like right. that, yeah, stuff, that, that stuff cool looks nuts. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, small sample size, I saw it kind of get beat up by aggression a lot, uh, you know, getting really picked on by a timely uh, shock when they're already facing pressure or maybe priests of forgotten gods, just preventing it from generating any kind of meaningful board presence and really invalidating the investment in the card. So I still believe in the card. I don't want to sound like I'm trashing it. There were just a few spots where I was like, huh, I thought this card would be a little bit more impactful here. And I think it still will prove to be. And uh, that's why it made number five on my list. Yeah, that that was my original assessment of the card where it's like, oh, two mana, two, two. Like, I mean, obviously you get to do some incredible things if the game is going on later but the front side of this card is just not impressive you know like you do get to threaten things on offense but on defense it's just like so awkward but you know maybe that's just a thing that you need to be aware of and this is basically just a card that says can't really block until it's a 4-4 because you know the body's too weak and it's not really going to help you in those sorts of situations but uh, I think those things will become a little more apparent over time. Like you said, it, it was a small sample size. People's decks were a, a little bit rough, I shall say. When the person who had Growth Chamber Guardian was in the driver's seat, it did look really good. Snowballed really hard, yeah. And also, I guess, too, it's worth mentioning, we always talk about things in kind of absolute terms of the card looking good and its power level. But also there's a lot we still have to learn about play patterns, right? And like maybe you're just not supposed to be running out that as a two drop. Maybe it's supposed to be your five drop instead and you just instantly recoup value from it. And those are the type of things we're still learning about this format and you know how to make the optimal plays. You think about how the dance evolved around Rekindling Phoenix and Goblin Chain Whirler and how as time went on in the Red Black Mirrors, you learned you just didn't play your Goblin Chain Whirlers. They had a more yeah, important Yeah, never purpose. cast it. Right. And we could be dealing with the same thing here where we just don't understand the play patterns around growth, growth chamber guardian quite yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves as well. Yeah. And if, if that's the case, and I'm sure that will be the case in some matchups, then you have to build your decks differently. Because if right. your deck is growth chamber guardian in another two drop, but you're not supposed to play your growth chamber guardian on turn two, or if you're playing against mono red and growth chamber guardian basically doesn't do anything to stop their onslaught. Like you need something else in that two drop slot to help you. Spot on. That was your number five. So we're on my number four. Correct. My number four is rhythm of the wild. And this is another card where it's like, okay, this is pretty clearly very strong. And uh, Domri also looked pretty good to me. And I don't necessarily want to include both of them on the list, especially since, they sort of do similar things, like Domri has the engine thing going on for it, but Rhythm has 
this more like I'm going to beat the crap out of you thing going for it. And so far, Rhythm has looked nice. Yeah, we actually tied up here. Rhythm also on my list at the number four spot. This is kind of surreal at this point. We were really tracking each other very closely. Like you said, has just looked nice. Very impressive. There was a point where I was lower on this card. My thought process being, I don't want my girl aggressive deck to rely on synergies. I just want these beaters. And there was a few times yesterday, again, I did see this where you ripped the rhythm of the wild off the top and you're like, well, if this was any creature, this would just be game over. And here I'm stuck with this synergy based card. And that again, gave me a moment of pause, but the times where it was impressive, it was really impressive. And you mentioned the growth chamber guardian type cycle where you can just run everything out there. There's a lot of cool synergies. I talked about this card in Modern a little bit in my article this week. Not that that's what we're here for. We're here just for Standard. But if you can make synergies work in Modern, then there's probably enough synergies in Standard as well to exploit. And this is going to be an important part of the format. It kind of changes how control decks have to approach things too. I don't think we'll ever really live in the three to four essence scatter world again, where this card remains an option for the aggressive decks. And obviously that depends on the colors the aggressive decks take on. But I do think this will be around in the format and something that other decks will have to adjust to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the fact that you can play this turn two on the play, your opponent has such little recourse when facing down this type of card. It's just like Llanowar Elves already sort of had rotated out of standard because you basically just get to skip a turn and it's very apparent and like the games where you have it are much different than the games you don't and I think it was like a cool callback for you know having Dominaria the set and everything but in three color land where people have very few one drops now you have decks that are able to go land or elves into effectively all my stuff has haste and then you just you just do such gross things to your opponent because the creatures are so enormous and there's not a lot of good ways to actually like interact with rhythm of the wild at least that i've seen so far so when i'm talking about control and how i like esper control versus anything else it's like you have things like thought erasure and mortify and like actual kaya's wrath which is good against a bunch of big green creatures whereas like Grawl's Spellbreaker messes up your Settled Wreckage and Cleansing Nova is a little bit too slow and stuff. And I I don't like that this makes the games very weird where people are just going to be like, I couldn't beat your turn two enchantment. It's like, God, this is so strange. Well, I, I mean, there's concessions you can make in deck building to something like that. And there is enchantment removal for many of the colors we're currently playing and it's just maybe a concession we're going to have to make and you're talking about the need for you know better wraths and the fact that your settler wreckages could get messed up maybe that's why turbo fog has gotten so much press thus far it's just a cleaner way to try and assert control over a board state is you just want to move to the end game very quickly blunt some key attacks and then find a way to never give your opponents the turn back And I can understand wanting to take that approach to control where there's powerful, proactive options such as this available. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I totally get that. But then that's also not promoting great gameplay if your answer to the creature deck with fires, if you have a Maya, is, yeah, I guess we have to load up on root snares because nothing else does it. Like our four mana sweeper is not good enough. 
that is that really where we want to be? You know, I I feel like this card should probably just not exist, and like these gruel decks should just have basically Domri in in these slots. And like I I think it would be probably a better format, but we'll see. I mean. Like you said, this card has a lot of issues. This card wants you to build your deck in a certain way, which means that you're less versatile and everything. It's not great in multiples. It is right. tempo negative on the turn you play it, which could end up being bad if the, the rest of the format is like super aggressive, go wide, get under you. And this is a bad top deck. But it's, it's mitigated by a lot of different things, Growth Chamber Guardian among them. So it has not even remotely seemed bad to me, you know, to just play like four of this in your elf deck or your gruel deck or whatever. Right. And you're talking about what sounds like a very polarized card, which is always scary, right? Cause that's like Gideon was a very polarized card where if you were, if you curved into it on the play games just felt unwinnable. And there seems like there's some of that going on. I'm certainly not at the point where I'm talking doom and gloom or fear about the health of the format. Like I said, I think there's a lot of adaptations to be made and some, pronounced weaknesses with the card but uh it's a powerful one an interesting one and i don't want to say i feel silly for being initially a little bit lower on it because i I think the thought process checks out but sometimes you just have to see a card in play and be like oh this is actually incredibly impactful and i forgot what fires of yavamai was actually like back in the day yeah i i do think it's polarizing and i i am not doom and gloom i don't think this card is necessarily going to ruin standard or anything i i think it's very strong it's difficult to interact with especially since it works with creatures and one of the ways you normally beat creatures is like you know they have summoning sickness they they take a turn before they actually do anything right and this card just right. completely makes that irrelevant so I, I just don't necessarily like where it moves the games to, but okay, it's, it's probably not busted or going to be super frustrating. But like if people are main decking Knight of Autumns and stuff, it's not the worst thing. I just don't want to live in a world where you absolutely have to be main decking those cards to be able to compete, you know? Yeah, well, there there may be some other cards in this set that have something to say about that anyway, so we'll I see. know, I know. Uh, so we both had that in number four, so we're on my number three. Yes, drop it on me. Incubation Druid. Uh, yeah, so I don't have this <laughs> on my list. And this okay. is another one where I'm like, am I just completely dropping the ball here? Because the power level on this card when it is working well is off the charts. The problem is... I think on its own, it's very medium. Like this card on its face, it relies on the other cards in your deck to push it to the power level of being the number three card in the set. That's my objection to it. No, check this out. So check this out. Two mana O2, obviously not great. However, even if it just tapped for mana of any color or whatever, it would still probably have to be on this list because there are enough decks that would want this over Druid of the Cowl and Druid of the Cowl is already seeing a decent amount of play. So it's not like, oh man, this is like Gilded Lotus, like busted type of stuff. We're going to be all registering stony strength or whatever. I think that this card is just a fine card. And then if you do stuff like curve into Hadana's Climb, play Steel Leaf Champion or whatever, cool, that's fine. You know, that that makes for like a really explosive, exciting turn. But I'm not necessarily jumping through hoops to make this into a Lotus. I just think that it's a good card, period. With upside staple on the back end. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to reject what you're saying. Like I said, this was 
maybe the most heartbreaking card I left off my list because it could just make me look completely foolish a few months from now when this is the focal point of the format. Again, we talked about how like wilderness reclamation can set you up to go from five to 10. This is doing similarly dramatic things in a lot of instances. And like you said, just has a fair use case too, which is completely acceptable. I kind of reject the premise that just on Druid of the Cowl, analogs it would have to be included it's not like we had druid of the cowl in our top tens going back in the day and i think druid of the cowl is being played somewhat begrudgingly but certainly as an upgrade to that card it earns its place in the format without question it's just like is this going to be one of the pillars of the format or is just going to be a card that's utilized in decks which have ways to push it to the next level and i'm not sure about that answer quite yet i do think hadana's climb will be a thing i think Mm -hmm. that Elves is very close to being a thing, if not there already. And I think that there are just like a lot of weirdo decks that are going to be playing this. Maybe there's like a slightly bigger gruel deck or whatever. Like this, this card is going to see enough play, like definitely more play than Druid of the Cowl, right? Yes. And then there, and then there are going to be the people who are trying to do busted stuff with it, which may or may not be good. Uh, So just proliferation of the format. I have it on my list. I don't think that this card is like, hyper insane gonna be making a ton of mana or anything but like this is also another one of the cards that looked pretty good with rhythm of the wild right yeah another good synergy there Uh, it's like a little slower and whatever but like it it pays you you know yeah i actually have both of these cards in my first ravnica allegiance seal deck that i'm playing right now on arena i have uh, (laughs) a druid and uh so I've, i've already lived that dream in ravnica just a few minutes into the format which is nice all right so that brings us to my number two, correct? Well, that that was my three. Oh, okay. My three, we've already discussed growth spiral. I'm a little bit higher than you are. I, I think it can be unlocked a little bit more than it already has been. It just seems like a pillar of the format to me. I don't think there's any question about it. There will be many decks built around growth spiral. Ooh, so I, my article that I just submitted was, it, it, it sort of mentioned the pillars of the format and- mm-hmm. Our definition of pillar might be different, but mine is if you are not playing one of these cards in your deck, you need a very, very good reason. Okay. And what'd you have? So uh, I had Teferi, Llanowar yeah. Elves, mm-hmm. uh, Niv-Mizzet, Goblin Chain Whirler, Judith, and History of Benalia. I, I think Growth Spiral earns a place on that list and is a unique card on that list. I, I mean, I think big mana will be a thing. And it may take the form of, you know, Turbo Fog, or it may take the form of huge mana Bant decks or some kind of big mana control deck. But I, I, I do think this is the archetype which has to be still carved out and will eventually sit as one of those pillars of the format as well. Well, so the thing is, is a lot of the decks that you described outside of just the blue-green Turbo Nexus have Teferi. Oh, Teferi decks. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, there, it's it's different parts of the same strategy, but I see what you're saying. It definitely encapsulates all that. Right. So you could you could do things like simplifying it even more, like combine Niv-Mizzet and Goblin Chain Whirler into Lava Coil or something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I think it is more important to look at like kind of the, the threat slash answer aspect of it. These are the types of things that people are building their decks around. Like, and this is 80% of the format. Right. I I guess my positing, this could be a pillar would also insist that there is a way for this card to branch out from Teferi. And we'll see if that proves to be true. Cause right now I don't think we've really seen much of that. 
I believe it does have that capability and may offer just straight Simic deck something to do as well. So we'll see. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I mean, if there's if also there the teamer ends- stuff too. I mean, you've seen Todd Anderson's deck. I'm sure he's in, he's in love with teamer big madness strategies. And yeah. I mean, that's a place where this could go as well. Like Nim is, could be a big part of those decks. Uh, you could yeah. also potentially alter land war elves to be growth chamber guardian. That doesn't necessarily hit everything. Like that would put Selesnya under the the history of Benalia bucket. You know, like a lot of the decks have like two of these pillars in them, right? Yeah, I don't know. I like looking at it this way because it's just like, all right, these are like the the five or six cards or whatever that are basically in everyone's deck, and then that that lets you uh, just look at the format from a different perspective and kind of like because like if you go look at Goldfish right during like last season, it's like oh, there's you know, 30 different decks or whatever, but realistically they're all playing like the same four cards. So, right. Right. Yeah. It definitely distilled down to four slash five decks by the end of the format for sure. Anyway, that's my little rant. My number two is growth chamber guardian. Basically same thing as incubation druid. I think it's proliferation. I think a lot of green cards are going to play it. I, I think that it is very strong, maybe not as powerful in a vacuum as some of the other cards on the list. But very, very good. We'll see a lot of play. People are probably going to be doing like a lot of searching and shuffling, which is annoying and I hate it, but whatever. Yeah, always a downside. I mean, it's such a cool card that maybe I'll get over it this time. I, I do hate the searching and shuffling stuff, though. One of my big problems with Nexus of Fate is the searching and shuffling stuff. But S- Says the guy who plays Amulet. I know, I know. I'm I'm an idiot. What do you want from me? I mean, really, when you start doing amulet stuff, you just kind of tell your opponent, look, I'm going to be in my deck for the rest of this turn, and it's going to end with you being dead. So just give me a pass here. We're going to leave it face up. Okay, so that brings us to my number two. And I just will say I battled back and forth between my number two and my number one card. I don't know that I got it right. I have a feeling my number two card is going to be your number one card. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it should be my number one card as well. But my number two is Judith, the Scourge Diva. This card's incredible. I mean, you couldn't watch games yesterday and not be blown away by Judith. The fact that these pings are now targeting creatures completely changes combat math. I think, I mean, maybe that's like where I would object to your pillar statement. I think maybe Goblin Chain Whirlish might have to be Judith at this point. The card is incredibly impactful. It generates a clock it makes it impossible to sweep your opponent uh it just does absolutely everything i don't know if it's going to be maximized in just a pure aggression black red type archetype or if it's going to look to do the aristocrat sacrifice type thing both looked incredibly impressive to me yesterday this card's the real deal and huge part of the format going forward judith was one of my pillars oh okay i'm sorry yeah, Good. Judith. Judith. Yeah, Judith is the new one. So yep. yeah, I guess in theory, like Judith, Chain Whirler, Nib Mizzic, like all, will all almost certainly have Lava Coil in their deck somewhere, right? But right. not all Chain Whirler. Like Chain Whirler is going to be a mono red thing for sure. And I think mono red did get a lot better. Uh, there are some lists floating around that are like unclaimed territory warriors with like Pell Collector or Crawl Harpooner, Chain Whirler, you know, it's like maybe mm-hmm. that's a thing where they don't get to play Land or Elves or Grow Chamber Guardian. So that's that's kind of why I separated them the way that I did. But yeah, like Judith decks are their own separate thing. Like this is, Sam Black is either going to be very happy or very sad 
because it's like if the the aristocrat stuff is mainstream it seems like sam is less interested in doing it you know <laughs> he's one of those yeah i know that game yeah between judith gutter bones priest of forgotten gods there's there's already like this huge engine that you can work with there's plenty of support stuff for uh, one drop sacrificial fodder. There's a lot of good two drop stuff. And then this is even before you branch out into white and white has some good stuff too. Pitiless Pontiff and Alenda. Like Alenda is actually going to be a card now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Alenda looked very impressive when I saw it in play yesterday. Good. That's That was one of my high picks going back to, that's a rivals card, right? Not an excellent card. Correct. Yeah, I remember being very high on that card and then it completely flopping. But uh, the power there, level's there. Alenda there were no sack outlets. Exactly. You couldn't do exactly. anything. Yeah. And, and now there's there's just so many ways to, to kill off your own Alenda. And there's so many things like bouncing in and out of play. Uh, Priest of Forgotten Gods is also very, very good, but obviously requires like a lot of setup. And then there are just like the shells where Judith is just like getting double splash into the white weenie deck and is also just very good there, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how excited I am to play games with Judith, Judith decks. It looks like not only one of the most powerful cards in the format. It looks like a really fun card. All of the interactions I saw were so cool. Uh, very intricate board states and interesting combats. And even when the games weren't necessarily taking a long time, there was a lot of decisions along those six or seven turns that were really cool. So I'm excited that this card is going to be one of the pillars of the format. It's very powerful. Uh, you should certainly be thinking about it in your deck building. Uh, makes Lava Coil look even better, right? You get to dodge those triggers. But yeah, Judith is going to be everywhere. You can start packing all your exile base removal because this card's going to do damage otherwise. Yeah, uh, I was kind of weirded out that the Magma Spray in the set was two mana, but now I kind of get it. And, you know, just building things like Bant, right? I'm just like, how do I deal with like a go wide, like aristocracy type thing? And it's just like, I'm, I'm scrambling for answers. I don't know. Yeah. Like there, there's one of the problems like, with Warrant Warden is that it, it really doesn't do a good enough job addressing this. If your opponent plays carefully enough. Right. I, I did see what happened. Like, uh, Oh, Midnight Reaper got warranted. And then like their, their board got swept by Kaya's wrath or whatever. And it's like, uh, uh, Hopefully that doesn't happen again. You know, like things like that are going to happen one time each and then hopefully never again. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So that brings us only to my number one. Right. We have covered everything else. Which is which is your your mana flare. Yeah. Are you staying on brand? Yeah, I have to. I, I just don't see a world where wilderness reclamation doesn't do something incredibly exciting in this format. And I guess here's the thing is that. It wouldn't shock me if three months from now, there's no Wilderness Reclamation deck at the top of the format, but that's only because the format would have warped around the card already at that point with things like Mortify all over the place and tons of Thrashing Brontodons. And we're kind of exploring the simplest versions of Wilderness Reclamation, I think, right now, you know, mostly doing the obvious expel type stuff. I think there's just a control deck that probably leverages Wilderness Reclamation that we haven't really explored yet. That's just a bunch of counter spells, and you can play the game that way. And I don't know. This card is fundamentally broken. It's a, a card shouldn't be able to generate this much mana. And it's up to us to figure out where the pieces fall behind Wilderness Reclamation. But going from four mana to 10 with a free card 
that's just defies all expectations of what a magic card should be able to do. And I expect that this card will have a tremendous impact on the format, even if it just changes all the removal spells and, you know, exactly how you have to come out of the gates, what you have to be prepared for. You know, a lot of my Wilderness Reclamation first sketches folded to any negate, basically. And that was kind of by design. I just wanted to see what Wilderness Reclamation was capable of. Could it be this incredible mana engine? The answer is yes. And now it's just about finding the pieces that will ultimately bring bring it success, finding the B plans for Wilderness Reclamation decks so the deck just doesn't sit there doing nothing when it loses access to the card. If all those things get pieced together, I don't see how this isn't the most impactful card from this set. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be there with proliferation. Like, there's just something about Turbo Fog, right? Where like 50% of the people in a room are not going to pick it up. Just they're they're just not, but it yeah. may have like the most warping impact on the format entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's my view of it. Yeah, it is. It is definitely like a real magic card. Should have been very high on my top ten. It is just busted in theory, you know. Yep. And I I don't get it. Nor do I. But uh, I, I guess this is the point where I talk about some of the cards I left off this list that I can't believe aren't anywhere to be seen things like angel of grace that seems like an incredible card there's something to do with prime speaker i don't know what it is quite yet but uh people are working on it nothing impressed me but there's something there for sure we mentioned gutter bones i think that the rakdos split card the rare one is also completely reasonable we didn't mention bedevil which was a card everyone was like over the moon about at first there's just so many good cards in this set I'm medium on it. Like the the mana cost for Bedevil and Absorb is very prohibitive to the point mm-hmm. where like Absorb in Esper Control is kind of weird because you can only get 16 blue sources from dual lands. Okay. So you can't really play Basic Island with Kaya's Wrath. So then I, I was playing like two Demir Guild Gates so that I could play three Absorbs, which is kind of awkward. And right. obviously like Absorb's a reprint or whatever. So like it wouldn't have made my list anyway, but... Like Bedevil kind of has like the same warping effect with your deck in mana base where a lot of the time you would rather have it be like ABC mana costed and it would be much easier to cast. Whereas this makes it so you have to be like base black three color, which is just like an odd thing to do or like base black two color, which like two color just doesn't seem all that great to me in general. Yeah. in the Mardu decks I was watching, it was so much it was so clear that Mortify was just a better card than Bedevil the vast oh, majority yeah. of the time. Yeah. And it, it really wasn't all that close. So, you know, if we looked at Bedevil on rate, it was just like, this is a slam dunk. And now you see Mortify and you're like, well, I actually think I want that card. Yeah. The the Planeswalkers are kind of medium for the most right. part. Obviously, Teferi kind of not, stands not out. Not on our but, lists here. No Planeswalkers right. on either of our lists. And Dovin and Domri are both good but not good enough for the top 10 in this set. And if Mortify were not a reprint, it absolutely would have been on my top 10. I agree with that. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's funny too. Cause like Mortify was just like, you know, the, the stepchild of original Ravnica, right. Where it was like, you know, Putrefy saw a lot of play. Right. And Mortify just like, didn't, right. It was just like completely shunned for whatever reason. And now it's just great. Like murder. That's easier to cast because it's CD instead of CC. And yeah. having a lot of relevant enchantments and white black is like actually a reasonable combination and everything. It's just, it's got everything going for it. 
Yeah, I I can't wait to see where this format shakes out. There's so many interesting questions right now. I mean, if you had to play a tournament this weekend, what are you leaning towards? I think that's always an interesting question. Uh, I would start with Llanowar Elves or Judith, and I think my Llanowar Elves deck would be Bant, but I think that I would lose to Judith decks. But okay. I, I have a lot of Bant decks in my article that I think are very good. Like, just cards like Tithe Taker, uh, Deputy of Detention, like, these are all cards that are also very good that did not make our list. Kind of, right. I, I think I think Hero Precinct 1 is just much stronger than those cards, but Tithe Taker might see more play because it's easier on the old deck building. That's true. It's very true. Definitely huge requirements come along with Hero of Precinct 1. Uh, I think if I had to put a list on paper right now, it would probably be a red-black aggressive list uh, built around Judith. I, I just think it's hard to mess up that list. Uh, curve probably topping at Rekindling Phoenix and just playing all these incredible Rakdos spells we have right now. Uh, going to have some vulnerabilities to enchantments. Maybe I should just branch out to Mortify to begin with and not even mess around, but certainly Duress in post-board games can do some of the work there. Duress or Drill Bit? Maybe it's Drill Bit. Out of the, at least out of the aggressive Rakdos decks, you have to at least consider the drill bit instead. Right? So, yeah. Because most of the decks that you're duressing are ones that don't have blockers anyway. Correct. Correct. So yeah. just any one mana thing is going to be able to enable spectacle. And yeah, I, I think drill bit is actually solid out of the board of these sorts of decks. Right. Yet another card we didn't have anywhere near our list here. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's not close to the top 10, but it is definitely playable and impactful. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to casting week one of this format. It's going to be an absolute blast. We're only about a week away now from heading out to Indianapolis. Uh, you and I will get a front row seats to all the action. Kind of wish I was playing in it, but that's okay. I don't mind just observing and getting to see all the awesome games instead. Yeah, me too. But if I were not casting, I would probably just sit at home, play arena and watch the tournament. So right, right. It's kind of whatever. <laughs> yeah, we may as well go and hang out and uh, talk about it while we're just sitting there watching the whole thing anyway. Yeah, man. I'm in. Cool. I I find it interesting that our lists were so close. And I, I mean, I, th- I think we're doing it right, you know? Yeah, I wonder if that's a function of just like having done this together a bunch now and, you know, us talking each other into some of the commonly held opinions we have and having made our case for certain cards over. I mean, cause we've discussed basically all of these cards at this point, you know, something like warrant warden was a card that you were able to sell me on. I think I probably sold you a little bit on wilderness reclamation. Plus you finally seen it in play. So we certainly have an influence on each other and the cards we like, but this is definitely the closest we've ever been for sure. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, I don't know if we were ever like Judith is busted. Like, it's going to be the number one card. Like even our, our place in the ranks was pretty similar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable. Yeah. This is, this is good. Either we are very right or we're very wrong, but (laughs) who knows? I think we're very right. We're usually pretty good at this new set stuff. I think it's one of the fortes of the game podcast is we do a good job, both setting up expectations and just kind of like eventually getting it right. Even if our stuff doesn't soar out of the gate, it all shakes out to these cards being meaningful. Yep, absolutely. So is there a a question you like? Yeah. 
So this question comes from Nightmare411, and they ask, when Wizards gives clear starting points for standard, like now with the 10 two-color guild pairs, do you think it makes the format better or worse than a normal format where the color pairs may not have equal support? What do you think about that, Jerry? Well, 10 strikes me as a lot, whereas most standard formats don't have that many things that are supported. So uh, as, as long as you are actually trying to stay true to the 10 and make it so that, you know, these 10 decks each have, you know, at least like a tier two chance of like showing up or whatever, that's cool with me. Because it just seems like in normal sets, there ends up being like one, two or three things that are more powerful than everything else. And then that takes up like a large percentage of the format. Whereas with Ravnica, especially now that we have all the Shocklands and now we have all the three-color stuff opening up to us, it doesn't feel like 10 anymore. It feels like the possibilities are just endless, especially since even within any one color pair, there's probably two different decks that you can build out of it. So then like we, we just end up with like 40 potentially viable decks and the format doesn't necessarily shake out like that. We saw last season where like basically every guild was pretty well supported but there ended up being like you know golgari that was very obviously on top is it i think that was in clear second and then everything else that showed up a little bit but now i think that everything's kind of on equal footing and there's just so many different unique powerful things that you can be doing that i find it hard to believe that there's going to be a deck that is just simply better than everything else yeah i think that's the key to making a standard successful is just a lot of balance. Like, I don't think that this Ravnica set or sets is unique in kind of putting things on rails. Like, it's not like this is the only time you get direction. These are the things you should be doing. Even in tribal sets, here's your fairies deck. Here's your merfolk deck. Here's your dinosaur deck. There's always some rails guiding you. Right. It's just a question of, are the things on those rails all compelling? I think one of the failures with Ixalan was that, I mean, not only was the power level dwarfed by the preceding set, so none of those things could really shine, but within those tribes, there was a huge amount of variance in constructed playability. Something like Merfolk was just never going to get the job done. Even vampires were, were missing so many tools that it, it just wasn't really well balanced. And that was the problem. It, it really didn't have anything to do with the rails. It was just about making sure all of the options had appropriate answers and threats and the ability, ability to adapt. That's what we kept coming back to last standard format. And in fact, that standard format is still adapting right now on Arena. Uh, we talked a little bit about BBD's green-white deck, which has seemingly proliferated across best of one arena. That's a new late adaptation in the game. You know, in theory, it's the Selesnia deck, but it's doing something completely different than it was three or four weeks ago. And that's what has made that standard so interesting. That's what, if this standard succeeds, will be the hallmark of this standard as well. Adaptability within those rails and multiple options within those rails. So I say what seemingly makes a set great is when you fill out all the options and you give them all room to adapt and room to be good. And where things kind of miss for me is where all these kernels of possibility are there in front of your face and you want to make them happen and you're just lacking the tools. I find that frustrating as a player sometimes. And it's like, 
I, I remember at Ixalan, our pitch line was like, they didn't wait 20 years to make dinosaurs to have them flop and constructed. And then they flopped and constructed. And it kind of left a right. bad taste in my mouth for the set. So, so that's really what I would push as an important part of a successful standard. Yeah, I mean, you go back, you look at things like Ixalan, right? And it's like, well, they have the, what, five tribes, six mm-hmm. tribes. And I, I assume that the goal was for those to hit and constructed. You know, something out of Ixalan should have hit and constructed. You would think so. And it just did. It didn't. Yeah. And But like you go back to Kaladesh and it's like, well, you have artifacts and energy. Those are the two big things, right? And there were a couple different energy decks, sort of, because you had like a Dynavolt Tower blue deck and then you had like an aggressive art- artifact deck and there were some sort of tools for like a controlling thing, but it didn't really get there. There's two or three major themes per set that you can really build around. And then there ends up being a best version of that thing, right? And then you are more on rails than like 10 color pairs. Like I said, 10 is just a lot. It just is. And most things, like most sets are not that well supported. And now we even have uh, the three color decks and stuff. So, yeah, I think Ravnica is not really on rails as much as you think it is, even though it's it's more apparently on rails, probably. Right. I, I think that's a spot on assessment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, I, I kind of like it when it's like, you know, like the, this is the graveyard thing or this is the go wide thing or this is the controlling thing like being able to separate the the decks by just actual macro archetype does make sense to me and is kind of rewarding versus like separating it by colors, mm-hmm. I guess, because it feels like more freeform. But realistically, like we have more options now. We just do. It's like you can play white aggressive, white midrange, white control, and basically all down the line through all the colors, you know? So uh, yeah. we we basically have it all right now. Yeah, embarrassment of riches, just like this set, just like our top 10 lists, plenty of options, plenty of things we could have included. Uh, Good time to be playing Magic, and I get to end this podcast and go right to Arena, which I am excited to do. Well, I might go back to sleep, but I I do want to play Arena. All right, so let's let's all talk Jerry, and you go get a little nap. (laughs) Come back, I'll meet you on Arena, and it'll be game over there. All right, that's game.